so guys, today you need a horror podcast. Daniel Farrens, writer of Halloween Six. Uh, Nick, that was a hell of an interview we just got done with. A little prelim- preliminary for the people. I mean, how do you feel? He was incredibly open, talkative. He didn't shy away from a question we asked. And I think the thing I came away with most was, this is one of the good ones. Sometimes you meet people in this industry that you, they're, you're like bummed. No, Daniel seems like a really, really good guy. Yeah. And I want to let people know, too, um, his audio was fantastic. I was worried because he's he was mobile. He he was very gracious to give us his time. He was traveling. Uh, so his camera was off, but he did have the courtesy to put a Michael Myers logo mm-hmm. for his picture. And his audio was fantastic. Um, and me and Nick, we wanted to be super safe with our internet. So we both used our phones because the last thing we wanted to do was have any jitterness with Daniel. So mm-hmm. our, our audio should be good, guys. But no, I'm not using my $400 sure mic for this. But we had a great conversation with Daniel Farrens. I feel closer to Halloween. I, I genuinely feel closer. I'm going to be able to watch Halloween 6 now, and this is what I'm going to think of. Yeah, this I know that guy. Real. I know that guy. He also said he would love to come back on again, guys. As you're going to hear, he has some projects in the works. If and when one of these projects starts shooting and is ramping up, especially if it's the big one that he told us about at the beginning, we will bring him back on here once that is a reality and talk to him about that and ask him more Halloween questions. So it was it was just a blast. I mean, it was truly a blast. Yep. So, guys, have a seat. Get yourself a snack. Get ready to watch Halloween 6 after this and enjoy... Hey now, what's up everybody? Welcome back. This is a new episode of the Unita Horror Podcast. I'm here always with Christian. You know, we just, we're, we're a team, I guess. But we're joined today by one of uh, probably our favorite guests that we, and we haven't even talked to him yet. Uh, we're here with Daniel Ferens today. Uh, a lot of you guys that listen to us, you obviously know he wrote Halloween 6. That's what a lot of you guys know and love him for. Daniel Thank you for taking the time. How are you doing, man? I'm good. Sorry, I'm on the roads as we're speaking here. So I, the best I could do is my uh, uh, Michael Myers avatar for you guys. So I apologize for that, but it's great to be here. Dude, it's an honor. And and don't worry, you're good because this is obviously a podcast. So people are probably listening while they're listen. driving as well. Okay, got it, got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it goes on YouTube, but it also we go to the Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Perfect. Uh, Daniel, it's like I said, it's such an honor to have you here. Um, Halloween six, you've done a lot of stuff. I would actually like to ask you, I'd like to just jump into some stuff. I watched a movie a few years ago without even knowing this was you, your involvement at all. It was a movie called the haunting of Sharon Tate. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And I grew up watching, I I grew up watching um, Hillary Duff all the time. She was on this Disney show as a kid. It was awesome. So I was like, Oh God, Hillary Duff in this movie, Sharon Tate. Um, can you talk a little bit about this movie and what inspired you to do this? I would assume you have an interest in the whole Helter Skelter story and stuff like that to get involved in this kind of thing. You know, guys, I- I'll be totally honest. It wasn't that I had a whole interest in the Helter Skelter and the Charles Manson thing. In fact, I'm so repelled by it that when I was approached by the same producers who had done Mia Solid and produced a movie that I made about a year before that called The Amityville Murders, um, and they really wanted to make this movie. I, I didn't know everything there was to know about it, um, did a lot of research, um, and really what I came around to was just there'd never really been a movie from the point of view of the victims. Right. You know? And I felt like at the time my, my heart was in it because I thought, wouldn't it be great to tell that story, not only from their point of view, but what if these poor people who, you know, were the victims of the most horrific crime imaginable were able to somehow turn the tables on these motherfuckers right and that to me was the start and the genesis of it little knowing that the world had changed to such a degree that people literally lost their minds over this movie 
lost their minds to the point we were getting death threats over this film. So oh, I didn't I didn't know about any oh, of that. You don't understand. <laughs> this, Tell me about it, please. I'm very fascinated. No, I mean, it's it's just we, we you know we we just the internet has has turned people into monsters and savages. No offense, not you guys. But You're right. Just oh, I'm a savage. Out, you know, the worst in people who probably aren't the best people to begin with, but who use the internet as a shield and as a reason to to spread you know hatred. And they just decided one day they needed something new to hate, and this movie seemed like a good target to them. So we all became the victims of their, you know, insanity. Now, was this something that started pre-production, Daniel, or was this something that kind of took you no. by surprise when the movie was coming? Well, it, it took me by surprise because when the movie first started being shown around, it was winning festivals. You know, Hillary won, I won. You know, there were, you know, there was kind of a little momentum going on with the movie because it was different, you know, and it wasn't exploiting the story and showing how these people were murdered and nothing ever. You know, they never really had the justice that they deserved, um, other than the fact that these crazy people went to jail. Right. But, um, you know, there was kind of a, a an excitement around the movie initially. I think there were some skeptics about it, like, what is this going to be? And yada, yada. But, no, the, 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 the hate train started um, shortly after it came out. It didn't help that Sharon Tate's sister kind of went public and said, you know, I, I don't approve of this. Um, although I had written to her and sent her what I felt was a very heartfelt message and explaining what my intentions were with the film and, and that I wanted to sort of create a story that was, even though it was a fantasy, you know, it was kind of an empowerment of an empowerment story for these victims, but you know, people want to see what they want to see. And once somebody says it's good to hate this, they all jump on the train. So, and then it unleashes, you know, I call it the, the Kraken of the internet, you know? I mean, the, the real crazies come out. So it was scary. That's what I can say about that experience. And you know what, you know, Daniel- I, I, and, yes, and thank you, by the way, for the kind words, because I've gotten over the years, I think when people have actually seen the movie and they understand what it is and don't listen to all this BS, um, you know, I think they understand maybe more the, what the intention was. And, and thank you for saying that. Oh, Daniel, I, I, and I tell you, man, it's like, you know, I when I watched it, I, I thought, wow, this really is refreshing because it is from a different perspective. And quite frankly, Daniel, I think it deserves a, like a, maybe like some sort of a small renaissance now because it actually is the kind of film that I think people are looking for in that type of, uh, I guess, subgenre of like the reality kind of yeah. true crime stuff because that's so popular. Yeah. And well, you know, I'll tell those, you, I mean, the, the last thing. What that was ever on any of our minds was like, oh, let's make a scary movie and show these victims getting killed. Like we, right. we, we derive some sort of sadistic pleasure from that. What offends me more are people who walk around with Charles Manson on a T-shirt like he's a fucking superhero. Right. That's offensive. That's yeah. Offensive. But what we made as, you know, for those who haven't seen the movie, I mean, and I don't want to give everything away, but it really is a fantasy. It's a dream. It's a dream within a dream. And it says it from the very beginning of the movie. Right. Uh, what the intention of the movie is. It's 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 like they're all in limbo and they're having to sort of... I always thought it was an interesting... And I don't mean just this crime. This crime is just unspeakable. But what I always thought, just from a, a storytelling perspective, and it's something I think just as human beings, we all wonder, you know, we all think about life and death and mortality and what's on the other side, if anything. And, and I thought... If there is another side, and if your life is stripped from you so brutally and so quickly, and you still have a consciousness of the soul, when that, when when you leave your body, would you even know what happened? Would you have any awareness of that? And that's kind of was the jumping off point for the movie of these kind of lost souls. And as you've seen the movie, you see there's nobody else in the movie except for them. And the reason, right? That, they're 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 essentially ghosts. And they're coming to terms with their own deaths. It's great to hear you talk about this, Daniel, because like I said, man, I I, I, I was interested when I saw that Hillary was in this. And mm -hmm. I, I thought it was a, I just thought it was a really good movie. And well, I, I, I want to tell the audience, I implore them to go search out The Haunting of Sharon Tate. The only other thing I want to ask about the film, if you don't mind. Yeah, for um, sure. Is, is in fact Hillary herself. Did, how did yeah. she come into onto your plate for casting? Was that yeah. just happenstance or? Not happenstance. I mean, we we went to her. Um, one of our producers knew her manager 
and they got it to her and she was really intrigued kind of what you're saying about it like this is really intriguing and you know i know people will be sort of shocked by this movie because of the subject matter is so sensitive you know even after 50 years but she thought wow this is a really sympathetic portrayal of this woman that nobody's ever seen she's like even i didn't know much about her until i read your script you know, and, and you put, you peppered in so many details of her life and what, what she was facing at that time of her life. Listen, the movie was never a biography. The movie right. was never a documentary, you know. But again, you know, the unfortunate part with that was it just struck a nerve with a certain group of people who just went apeshit and really made it very scary for all of us. Yeah. You know, it's like you 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 don't know who we are. <laughs> you don't know what our intentions were here. You see what you want to see because you're kind of sick. Um, so I, I just I don't know what to say other than I know where my heart was. I know where Hillary's heart was. I know where the entire cast and crew where we were coming from. Not any of us would have made a movie that would have defamed these these victims. Yeah. Not for a second was that ever a, a fleeting thought in our heads. Yeah. You know, we, we tried to approach it from a, you know, without kind of sugarcoating it, because I think people really did forget how awful and brutal that really was. You know, and I think that's shocking to people when they see it, you know, kind of put out there. We didn't set our hold back from what that event was. You know, we didn't sugarcoat it. However, if you watch a movie to the end, you see what what the intention is. It's like okay, they, they've they've been brutalized and now they're going to take their power back. Exactly. Yeah, man. I, it's so great. I really appreciate you uh, going in depth on that kind of stuff because oh, it's thanks. a movie. I've well, always wondered about, about, about it. I honestly didn't know if this would even come up. So, <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, <laughs> man, I, I'm, I'm I'm telling you, yeah, I appreciate it. And and it's genuine too, dude. Because like I said, I watched it without. I I when I put the film on and I saw mm -hmm. your name on screen, it was yeah. it was a delight. Oh, um, <laughs> but yeah, dude, it's well, a fantastic. I think the other movie. thing that honestly maybe I had going against me was I'm kind of known as a horror guy. You know, so maybe some people looked at just that and thought, oh, he makes these bloody movies and this is a horrible human being who, you know, the people that hate horror movies to begin with um, or or make assumptions about people who work in that genre. I mean, Wes Craven faced that early in his career and Sean Cunningham certainly was called a pornographer when he was making Friday the 13th and Last House on the Left. So, you know, maybe in a way I should just say, fine, I'm in good company. I, I'm being called terrible things because of a movie I made. No, I mean, it's like, yeah. uh, you're a filmmaker, you know, you're right. a writer, you know, it's like, you, yeah. Uh, well, but yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's, it begins begins such a, a bigger conversation of like what's going on in this country in terms of censorship and, and artistic liberty and freedom and, and all of the things that are kind of really being challenged right now, you know, and I'm not saying that that was the case here, but when you kind of look at the political climate that we're in and the kinds of people who are trying to usurp power and take our, our choices away from us, you know, right. I mean, how the hell are drag queens in the spotlight of being like, like, like what? Did they ever see Mrs. Doubtfire? I, I hear you, Daniel. Anyhow, mm -hmm. brother. All other conversation, mm -hmm. guys. Go ahead. Daniel. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Daniel, yeah, we, we agree. We agree with you. We, Christian and I were actually talking about that the other night. But um, yeah. so obviously, you see the poster behind me. You see Christian's shirt and yes, his bust yeah, no, and everything like that. <laughs> yeah. So, like, Obviously, I laugh. It's I, I I laugh because I'm like, who in a million years would <laughs> would have thought? I'm looking mm -hmm. at yeah. tattoo now. For those who got thorn tattoos. We I, love you, man. Amazing. Big fans of you too. That's so awesome. And, and I see the mask. I see the DVD. I see the poster. I see the hat. I think I have yeah. somewhere. Yeah, uh, Daniel, I've got two laser discs cool. for Halloween six. I've got the American uh, and the Japanese laser. How disc. cool is that? I have the laser disc too from back in the day. Come to think, dude, of I'm a laser disc nut. But that, that's a whole nother conversation. Mm. Uh, go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. But, Where are you going with Daniel? Well, uh, first and foremost, I just want to say uh, when I first got introduced to you, like just seeing you talk about the movie was 25 okay. Years of Terror. Right. And right. I was like so fascinated about the story behind that. And obviously the books taking shape have come out and, and mm -hmm. we, we got the producer's cut on Blu-ray finally. So Blindly, like, right? oh, yeah, yeah, yeah a lot of this. years of begging. So, hey, I had a bootleg. In the, uh, in the every, late 2000s. I'm not yeah. surprised because everybody had one of those. And there was yep. literally, guys, and, and, you know, maybe we've been in touch online and I just don't recall, but like there was just never a day or at least a week that we ever went by during all those years that I didn't get an email or a DM from some fan somewhere in the world like, when can I get the producer's cut? When is it going to be released? It was, mm -hmm. So now that those, those things have, you know, stopped. Well, actually, not stopped because now I think it's not as 
readily available as it was a couple of years ago. So I can't no, yeah, and, yeah, but, but yeah, I, yeah, that yeah, was it, to get that one out. It's crazy that we got it. Like, and it, it's awesome that we I got know. it. But the first thing that Christian and I want to talk to you about is we know that you, from your own admission, that you were a huge Halloween fan going into this. You have no so idea. So, what was that meeting with Mustafa like? Like, where? Because you had a you had a Bible, right? Like a I Halloween did. Bible. Oh yeah. Because yeah. I mean, I was so young. You have to understand. I was nineteen when I met him. You know, mm-hmm. it was like months after Halloween Five came out. So, I'm dating myself here. <laughs> and it was like being summoned to the principal's office <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> it's terrifying. You know, but it was so like, you know, it's intimidating. It's kind of like your room now. Like it was like the posters were all over his office and there was his, this man with, you know, who I'd seen, you know, I knew what he looked like. Um, but, you know, there he is sitting behind his big desk with his pipe in his mouth. And, and I think just mystified, like, who's this kid walking in? Like, who, 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 who said that he, I would want to meet him, you know, but, but I had written a script, not a Halloween script. It was a horror script I had written and had sent it figured out how to send it to send it to a producer who worked for him, Ramsey Thomas, who produced five. And for some reason he read the script and he called me. He's like, I think this is really good. And we want to make Halloween six, you know, now. So I'm just, we're meeting with writers. Come in. I'm like, what the fuck? Really? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So I spent, you know, whatever I had two weeks or something, maybe not even to to compile something. And of course never really pitched a, a movie, much less one of these. And this was kind of like the dream come true moment for me given my fanhood uh and so i compiled this thing i now it's called like the bible of halloween that had the whole kind of history of all the films all the character biographies it had uh, a family tree that was like pointing to all the different family members and where they were originated from and who was related to who and how they were related and it had kind of like a whole kind of um synopsis in a way of like where the series could go from that point. right you know, what what elements could we bring together to make it move forward into new stories? So, yeah, so I, I, I delivered that with my little, you know, pitch, if you even want to call it that. I think he met with me for 10 minutes and it seemed like an eternity. But but I just remember it was just suddenly over and I, I, I you know, left him the, the the Bible, which, by the way, I'd had a friend of mine who was a graphic designer made like Halloween 666 and made turn that A like on your T-shirt there into the thorn that was on the that was my design for the the bible yes mm-hmm. i thought that was clever with that symbol and i had also gone to a, a bookstore that was pretty famous here in los angeles at the time similar around called the bodhi tree it was like a new age bookstore and i didn't know what that symbol was that thorn that the thorn symbol rune yeah and so i i showed i actually drew it i think you know based on what was in halloween five and i drew it on a piece of paper and i showed it to one of the guys that worked there and he goes oh that's a rune yeah, like, what is that? And he's like, oh, no, no, come with me. And he showed me a book, and it was called Rune Magic, and I still have it, by Donald Tyson. And that's where the mythology came right from from that, you know, what what that, that backstory was. So, yeah, I think I even photocopied, like, those pages of, of that book and included in the so-called Bible. <laughs> <laughs> so I leave it with Mustafa, and I, and I hear nothing for five years. And that's that's how long it took. I waited and waited and waited. And... A lot of things happened in between with the franchise and the rights and everything. And and lo and behold, one day I got the I got the call. And it was most of his office saying, Come in, he wants to talk to you. And suddenly it was, we have a start date, we have a mask, and we have no script. <laughs> what do you got, kid? And it's that's how it all started. No pressure. No pressure at all. No. Daniel, just this is kind of jumping way to the present, but like that Halloween Bible book. Mm-hmm. Where where is it now? I would imagine it's in the you know deep deserted <laughs> cave that <laughs> of where all things for Halloween go. Uh, I know Malik Akkad probably has it. That that's what I would have. Have you never inquired to try to oh, get it back? Well, well, no, but but I will tell you this: when I went in for the meeting five years later, it was on his desk. Can you can you recall that reaction too? Like, because you, you give this to him as a fan and this all, but to see him keeping it and referencing it, I mean, well, what was that he, like? Yeah, not only did he keep it and reference it, but he, the first thing he told me was, and I think Malik Akkad, who now obviously you guys know produces all the movies, they were like, "This, this is we use this. This is you know more about this than we know." 
So we, we, this is our, we go to your information when we, we want to know something about <laughs> our own <laughs> film series. He's like, this is so complete. Like we've just kept it as a kind of resource. So I, I get clearly I made some impression and you know what? I think it may, maybe it was that, you know, that I went the extra mile and did all of that kind of homework that, you know, kept me in their minds as somebody to, you know, I was probably a last resort because I think every other, you know, writer in town had taken a stab, no pun intended at that. And um, nobody came up with anything that was in any way, I guess, filmable for them or that they agreed that was the right way to go. So that's where I got my chance and that's mm -hmm. how it started. Wow. And so I kind of pitched them in the room, like what it could be. And I remember the words that I said that Mustafa, his eyes lit up and I said, it's Rosemary's baby meets Halloween. And the and second he, I, I like that, the second I used that little pitch line, he, his eyes were like, okay, I get it. Now I see. Mm. And it, sometimes it's, you know, and then it was like, well, what, you know, how is it going to work? What's going to happen? Da, 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 da. And I, I remember I had to sort of fight to bring the character of Jamie Lloyd back. They, they were like, what do we want? That, 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 nobody's, nobody cares about that character. Let's just move on. And I said, no, 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 no. We got we to gotta have her in it because, you know, even if we pass the torch at some point to these new characters, she's got to be in the movie. So that was, I kind of yeah. fought for that. And then most of it was like, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was he already dealing with with the Weinstein brothers at that oh, point yeah. when you were talking oh, yeah. to, because I, I want to say, Daniel, I've been reading these books. They're called Taking Shape and Taking sure. Shape Two, which yeah, you're, yeah. and they're so detailed. And um, if you could speak a little bit about how volatile Musafa was with the Weinstein's, because I know we'll get into this maybe in, in down this in this interview, but yeah. like was i know that they shut him out for reshoots at the end and there's oh. things i want there's actually things i want to ask about you what you wrote in your script that are kind of jabs at people like jabs <laughs> but can you can you yeah, i'm always so subversive that's not <laughs> oh it's it's hysterical but can you recall the first time you got wind that there was some serious friction between uh the weinsteins and mustafa you know, friction, I didn't get at the beginning. I think there was a sense of like, oh, this is good because now we have a studio that's going to bankroll this movie. It'll get great distribution. You know, you have to remember on, on Halloween 4 and 5, Mustafa distributed those movies through his own company called mm -hmm. Galaxy. And, you know, other than those movies, there weren't any big successful ones. So I think, you know, listen, I can't speak to what happened with the rights. I know there was sort of a contentious thing going on between Mustafa and Hill and Carpenter and and then the Weinsteins, you know, were basically kind of came in to say, OK, we'll we'll bankroll this. Who's who will make the movie the cheapest <laughs> or do deal with us? You know, and and I think it was kind of like Mustafa versus Carpenter and Hill at one point. Again, right. I, I wasn't there, so I can't attest to all of this. But this is my understanding. And and the the Weinsteins went with Mustafa Akkad and said, we'd rather work with you than them. So I think that started off as kind of like, okay, great. We know in business together and this, is, this hopefully will be a fruitful partnership. But I think little did anyone or certainly they know or Mustafa know who, you know, what, what he was going to be up against, you know, with these, because you have to remember like Pulp Fiction had just come out. They were brand new. Like they weren't, you know, they were kind of just an indie label. And then around that time disney had come in and swooped in and and bought the company from them right they were still running it day to day but you know the fact disney was in this business suddenly you know everybody wanted at that time wanted to become you know have their indie label and i think miramax was the first indie studio to be absorbed by a big corporate entity like disney and that had just all kind of transpired and on that same point, you know, so obviously I know near the beginning and everything, things seem good and things are great. And, you know, your script is being shot and that's awesome. At what point did you like, what was that like when everything started to change? When, when the reshoots were kind of not requested, but almost demanded. And then you guys were pretty much, you guys were stonewalled out of it. Essentially. It was like, no, you, you know, we're doing our own thing here. And I had to imagine as a writer, and a fan, you were probably like, this is bullshit. Like well, I was I was really upset and very vocal. Um, as you guys probably have figured out, I, I, I expressed myself <laughs> yeah. rather, you know, vocally. Um, and always was like that. So I guess that's the 
part of me that was always was be, be the kid from Providence, Rhode Island. You know, we tend to be more like in your face and like this is this is this is reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people don't like to hear that. But that being said, um, I knew things were not going to go as expected on day one of shooting. Really? Wow. Yeah. I, it just all felt like, wait a minute, like, this isn't the way I wrote it. You know, what do you, what are we doing? Like this? Was that, do you think that was the Weinsteins or Joe? No, 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 no. That, that wasn't them at that point. It was, it was, it was the director, I think having not a lot of knowledge of the franchise as a whole. Mm-hmm. I think it was an assignment for him. I think it was a great one. I actually think he's a great guy. Um, we got along fine. Um, I just kind of got the feeling on set, like, wait a minute, like this doesn't look right. Like, why, why didn't we build the Myers house? Like, that's the whole point. They're living in the old Myers house. Like, why can't we build it? Well, budgetary reasons, I think. But also, I just felt like there was just a lot of people, kind of, in that middleman position, those middleman positions, production managers and line producers and people like that, who just, to them, this was just another movie let's just get it done let's come in under budget so we can all scrape together what's left and we can give ourselves bonuses mm-hmm. you know so it was to me it was like pennywise pound foolish people at the helm you know and it wasn't necessarily miramax at that point although they had had their say in not casting danielle harris at the last second which was to me like what the fuck you know so i kind of knew at that point like wait this isn't this isn't going to be the movie that i had in my head when i you know, busted my ass to write this thing in a month's time or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that I was so emotionally invested in it, you know, I had spent five years waiting for this call and then right. sort of started to see it being put in the hands of people who really weren't all that passionate about the series. And even when I would mention the fans, people would be like, well, fuck that. I don't care about that. Mm. You know, so I don't know. It just didn't feel like the right team you know and mustafa and malik and malik was my age you know we were both kind of the rookies on the set and nobody was kind of listening to us you know we would try to throw in any little thing we could to like make it better <laughs> you know i remember there was a night when they were going to shoot the um the scene with tommy um you know paul rudd like walking through the, the little town fair that they had at the, at the, the carnival or whatever they had at the at the college Mm-hmm. And the the line producer was like, you know, and the script called for a bonfire, basically. You know, I read about mm-hmm. this, Daniel. Mm-hmm. I read about this. They're like, we're not paying for that permit. That's like five hundred dollars to light those fires. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> so I think Malik and some PAs went around and got a bunch of garbage cans and lit them on fire. <laughs> and that's why there's fire in the movie. Because if it wouldn't, if it hadn't been for Malik and his subversive team, like. You know, it, we wouldn't have had it. It would have just been Paul Red walking through a, a, you know, through a, through a, you know, whatever, a, a bunch of no fire. Like, no yeah. fire. <laughs> Paul Red. I mean, it's, literally, it's like the old lady. She's like, and the huge fires were lit, and <laughs> and literally, you were not going to see fire. Not it, see there fire. was no CGI back then, so we mm-hmm. couldn't even. Daniel, can I say a name to you, and you kind of give me your recollection of your oh. relationship with this okay. person? Okay. Uh, Paul Freeman. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, I just would say, you know, had a lot of experience. He was a close, like a personal friend of Mustafa's. Um, you know, he was on the team of people that approved me as the writer. Um, but I just never felt in particular that he was, again, very supportive of what we were trying to make. That comes across in 25 Years of Terror as well. Mm-hmm. Paul Freeman did not seem like he was very no. fond of this movie. No, and he just didn't, and he just wasn't nice to the people who were working on it, you know, just. So what was his MO? I'll just say very old school. He's very old school, you know, like Mm. when you could kind of like be mean to your assistant and you could (laughs) kind of order people around and act like you're the big boss and, you know, but I I actually, there was a time I actually confronted him in front of Mustafa and um, I said, listen, you know, what you're doing is not cool with me, you know, just like as young as I was, I had enough self-esteem to go. Oh, hell no. You're not going to like talk shit to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that. And then I remember it was either Mustafa or Malik called me and they're like, 
we're really proud that you did that. That was really good. You you needed to stand up for yourself. So so, so Daniel, you, you say he he's on part of the team that approves you as the writer. And yeah. I'm not I'm not digging for for you to you know talk smack about anybody. I'm just mm-hmm. I'm, I want you to tell your story because in the book. Well, listen, no, I mean I had a relationship with him. It wasn't the greatest one. Um, I again I would put him on that list of people that I felt like was standing in the way of making the movie that we wanted to make, not helping that process very much. You know, it was kind of like, let's get it done. Let's get it under budget. Let's just be done with this. It was just a job. Yeah. And did you get the, did you get the sense that he, he figured you were the kind of guy, a young cat, you're just getting into the business that he could, he could, yes, he could walk over you. Yes. And that's maybe just the nature of the beast, right? In the movie business. Well, I think that's, yeah. I mean, you're the new kid on the block and I think he felt like I needed to like, kiss the you know whatever the ring kind of yeah. thing like he was the the guy the you know the big cheese and i was just this young wannabe um but you know i i really did have a passion and a vision for the movie you know and i think that's what was so disappointing you know at the time was that i just sort of saw from the beginning like oh wait you know we're not we're not making the movie i thought it was going to be However, I took the wins like, oh, my God, Donald Pleasance is here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's right. so many cool things that. Did you, know, you get to meet Donald? I did. Yeah. 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 The first time I ever met him was on the phone. He he called, he asked to speak with me. And I think Malik, oh, wow. Malik facilitated that call to make that happen. And I remember hearing the voice over the phone, you know, like Daniel <laughs> saying your name. <laughs> I, I think I almost passed out. Um, <laughs> but to, to hear his voice over the phone and he said something like, uh, you know, that it had been. He'd been waiting for for this project for a lot of years, like we all had, and he was just happy that it was as good as it was. And he was really happy with the direction I was trying to take it. And he said, you've made it frightening. This is the scariest one since the first one. I'm so happy to be a part of it again. So that was like, that's all I needed to hear. He works so well with the material. He's so good in six. So good. Yeah. I mean, listen, even in the if you if you've ever read Carpenter and Hill's original screenplay for the first movie, all the dialogue was there, but Donald kind of made it his own. He took that's, the words and kind of like elevated all that stuff. Right. And that's the most criminal thing, in my opinion, about the theatrical cut that was released is how much they cut down his oh, yeah. screen time. Well, that because, was, that's oh. where the studio got involved. And they're like, he's too old. No kids want to see that. It's that, just, was yeah. their, that was the studio. Did you guys know, I don't mean to pry, but I do just want to ask, did you guys know as a team, uh, where Donald was at with his health? Like, were, were you guys aware that there were limitations and that, yes. you know? He- yeah, yeah, we were. I mean, to the extent that I remember Linda, who was our makeup artist, and, and you know, and some of the people who were working with him, you know, they just wanted to make him as comfortable as they could because mm-hmm. you could tell he was slowing down. You could see the way he walks in the movie. I mean, he's struggling a bit. Mm-hmm. So not that we knew he had real health issues, but he was, he was 74 years old or whatever he was at the time. And he was up mm-hmm. there and, you know, in four and five, he had those like horrible burn marks somehow trying to explain that he'd survived that explosion. <laughs> <I> mean, too. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, they didn't want to put him through that again. So it was just sort of decided to not, Skin grass. He would have been in a makeup chair for hours a day. They just didn't want to put him through the rigors of all of it and just make it as comfortable as they could for him. That's right. that's what I remember. Yeah. Daniel, I want to ask you about in, in taking shape, I thought this was really cool, and I'm hoping all this is true. Okay. That you um kind of uh stood up for yourself in your writing a little bit. There was a notion in the beginning of the film where we hear Barry Sims and the, and, and can you confirm that it was in fact Howard Stern that they wanted to get? Yeah. Well, six? I suggested Howard Stern actually, and everybody kind of like loved that. Um, even the studio, they're like, great. But I think I, if I remember it was Richard Potter, who was one of the like smart guys at dimensions I'm still friends with. Um, I think he was kind of like, Oh, that would be amazing for this movie, but I don't think we'll get him. But I think there were some initial, maybe they contacted his people and they were, Right away, they were like, "Thanks, but he's making his own movie." Private parts, yeah. yeah I, I don't think they, time. nobody ever got as far as like reading the script or anything like that. But it was kind of like, okay, in our own circle, we were like, "Oh, wouldn't it be cool if it was somebody like him?" And I was still right. hoping that they would put a name in the part. So, what my second suggestion was: Why don't we make it Mike Myers? <laughs> like literally, Groovy, baby, yeah. He's coming to town. This is before that, and right. but he was still Mike Myers. 
And I thought, how great would it be that he just comes and it's kind of like a publicity stunt and they're going to do this thing and have him be the, the MC of the night or whatever. And everybody was like, that's stupid. <laughs> uh, that would have been hilarious. But it would have yeah, been, it was, I yeah. mean, you know, whatever. Um, that was but, my, but, my, my backup. Of right. That. But, Going into this, Daniel, what I wanted to get to was can you confirm that when you were writing the script, you got wind about this space movie that John Carpenter and New Line Cinema were going to try to do for their Uh bid for the movie. So in the script, you take a dig at them in in a playful way Uh where there is the radio host talking to somebody and they make a notion. Didn't they send Myers into space? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, in fact, a reference. Um, Because what's what's interesting, Daniel, is John Carpenter – acts like he was trying to get away from Halloween since 1988. He refuses to... These two books taking shape, they blew me away because I learned about a number of times that John tried to get back. This was one of them, where him and New Line. So do you recall the first time you... Because I would imagine that was really insider information back in the day of John and New Line trying their pitch for this film. How did you hear about that? Was it from um, Mustafa at the time? No, I will tell you. And I kind of remember this and I, and I want to give credit where credit's due. And I don't remember specifically how it ended up. But what I do know is that wasn't in the original script, that line. And it wasn't even in the producer's cut. If you watch it again, it wasn't until the final cut that that got inserted. And I think Carpenter had just done an interview in Fangoria saying this movie is going to be terrible. You know, they should have gone with my idea. They should have put him in space. And oh, so wow. we were, since he was taking a dig at us, we decided to give it right back. <laughs> so, Dude, I, I feel you. <laughs> that was that was the intention. It was completely, you know, I will admit it was a it was a dig at John Carpenter for being re- to, for being rude. Um, but and, you know, kind of that's his trademark. That's, that's his, his trademark. trademark. I mean, and I love him for it. That's fine. I'm, I'm on the Carpenter train. But, but you can swing right back at him. Well, you know, you got to. You got to defend your... But you know what? I will say this. John was very nice. I mean, I had... In those days, I don't think we had email. I think we had faxes. Um, I had faxed his office asking where they had shot the Smith's Grove scenes in the original movie. I thought, wouldn't it be fun to shoot at least the exterior of that to make a match? And he And he faxed me back. And he told me where it was. And he was very nice. The Hollywood Reservoir. I've been there. I'm, I'm assuming you've probably been too. At this yeah, no, I, yes, I have been there. But this was, I was thinking about the building where Wynn and Loomis are walking. Oh, yeah. And it was yeah. a surgical center somewhere. And I can't think of the name offhand, but um, maybe Altadena somewhere. They used to like to shoot out in that passage in Altadena. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, so yeah. No, so, it's not like he wasn't aware or being nice to us. You know, I mean, Carpenter will tell you, he's like, I love when they make Halloween sequels because I get a big fat check. Yep. So that's mm. you know, he, one you know, more. He didn't mind. He didn't mind. You know, throwing a yeah. little love. You know, but, <laughs> but you know that being said, you know he wasn't involved in and all of that. But Deborah Hill was really nice to me. You know, when I when I got the job, she called me and said, "I'm so glad that it was you. You know, I know how how much this means to you, and I I hope it's great, and so they can do a number seven. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, at the time. But Deborah she was, was she was the same. So was, she was such a class act and very nice. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. There was one other line I wanted to get your confirmation on, Daniel, that I thought was sure. also really funny. Going back to Paul Freeman, uh, mm-hmm. the, bu- the book referenced that he thought it was a silly idea. I would assume more so we don't want to spend the money to go find this and shoot it. Mm-hmm. But he thought it was a silly idea to involve going back to the original Myers house in the movie, which was something that seemed like you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So there was a notion in the film where Barry Sims calls his – uh, his liaison in the film and says, we're going to take this back to the Myers house where we should have done it in the first place. Which and he actually you... says the real Myers house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the real, which is, uh, I'm taking it, it was in That's fact me. a rib at uh, Paul Freeman. It wasn't really at Paul Freeman. It was just the whole situation. It's like, well, why are we shooting this movie here? Like that house still exists. Like, why are we, why are we not making this movie where it should be made? Why are we not using the house that was in the first movie? Why are we why are we not making it a real Halloween movie? I didn't I didn't understand any of it, to be honest. And I'm pretty not- sure at that time too, that house was that was right before the house got picked up and moved. That got moved in '94, so feasibly you guys could have we probably could have, and I know it was in real bad shape. Back mm-hmm. then, you know what I mean, it was looking like that old derelict, you know, 
abandoned old house you know that it was in the movie um mm -hmm. so yeah it wasn't in good shape at that point but um but that being said you know we could have spruced it up they did it in 1978 <laughs> yeah they sure did um it just to me would have made the movie authentic you know like these people care about what we're making it's just so ironic to me and then in all these recent movies that's like they've got the house they've got the this they got the that they're throwing mm -hmm. money left and you know and it's like who was fighting for this back then no one yeah it's so crazy to think about that because halloween is my favorite series and when you look where halloween was in the late 80s and early 90s it was yeah. it just wasn't a money maker as much and right. now it's like right. insanity it's mainstream i mean yeah good for them and the success and everything and 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 money will get you certain things you know i think the fact they got to rebuild that house i mean it wasn't the original house they built a set and mm -hmm. recreated it in very exact detail and did a great job with it but um you know we just didn't have the the spoils of those kinds of riches in, in our movie you know we were i think a five million dollar film which ended up becoming i think less than four because they were suddenly allocating money to reshoots for hellraiser four from our budget oh i bet oh, you wow. love that i bet that was awesome news when you heard that well, we're taking a million dollars away from you so we can go. I mean, I don't even know if that one's exactly right, but I had heard rumblings of that at some point. Well, Joe Chappelle also had to finish that one. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, yeah. He, was, he was definitely playing to the bosses. You know what I'm saying? Like he and I understood it, you know, in a way like who he's a young filmmaker. I think he'd made one small feature like an indie film and you know here he gets this call and he's from chicago he's got a wife and a little kid and i think they had a second one coming at the time and he was so uh, he wanted to work of course who wouldn't right. you know and and listen that's not a bad train to get on at that time no. you know the miramax train so the fact that he took the 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 ticket i don't blame him but i also felt at some point he really kind of put halloween on the back burner and was looking forward to other things other than like trying to make this movie as good as we could make it yeah, and and I just I just have to say, but I know Christian has a few more questions for you, but I just really wanted to say that I've noticed that casual horror fans usually aren't too big on like Halloween five and Halloween six and those middle movies. Mm -hmm. But the diehard Halloween fans, mm -hmm. most of them have an they appreciation love six. for six. Oh. And it is simply because I'm not just trying to butter you up, Daniel. No, 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 no. You it's can fine. tell, we can tell you cared. We can tell you studied and you knew what you were talking about. And quite frankly, you you did give us the most, probably most atmospheric and one of the scariest Halloween movies. Oh, that's, and that's just that's a fact. It's cool. cool to say. Yeah, I mean, the atmosphere was so good because it was really fall. We started shooting the movie, I think, on October 30th. Not kidding. Wow. So, yeah. And it was not only... I'll, we didn't have to like in the first movie i think even in halloween 4 they were just getting like bags of leaves and thrown on people's lawns and <laughs> and then mm -hmm. they had to collect them because they couldn't afford more so they moved they moved the bags of leaves around um we didn't have to do any of that because it was all waiting for us it was like free production design um you know you kind of can't pay for that look it's, didn't it snow on like day one or day two it, it, I, it wasn't day one but it was damn close because I've, I've never been so cold on a set in my life was that <laughs> first day and the first shot of the movie was the the father, you know, in his bathrobe, like, you kids get off my lawn, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, <laughs> that was, the, and I've never, I just don't know how he stood there with that bathrobe on, because it was like, I, it was probably 30 degrees, maybe colder, maybe in the 20s. It was freezing. Lord. We Bradford English. He was and we had scarves and we had things. I mean, it was literally like, like, it felt like a beat, you know, you were, you were in a ski resort. It was that cold. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it was just, not well, you can't, you can't fake cold in these movies no, and I hate no. when movies do it. Cause you yeah. can tell, no, like it was freezing. I mean, mm -hmm. the whole time. And then yes, to answer your question, it started snowing, I think within that first week. So all of this exterior work that we we're going to do was like, well, now we're going to have to figure out how to do it inside, <laughs> you know? So that's why you Jeez. had like a, a thorn symbol on a hay bale. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That was not in the script. Uh, Daniel, we don't want to keep you too much longer. No, so no, we'll have I've actually got I've, I've actually got about 20 minutes, if that's yeah. perfect. You guys. So, Daniel, I read that the initial test. This is what I read in the book. And I, it's good to have you here because I can actually not that I think that the book is because wrong or anything, because I really. Oh, like no, no. Those books are great. You know, I, I think they went into such great detail. But they did. Yeah, and I, I got to know the guy that wrote it. Yeah, I got to know the guy who wrote it. And he's he's really sweet. He actually sent me some of the other books he did. Yes. Yeah, so uh, nice. Yeah, so 
I read that the test screenings were described by it could have been you and some of the people on the set as just a bunch of teenage kids that saw the first screening that completely hated the first cut and it sent it sent Merrimax uh, excuse me it's it really sent the Weinsteins in an absolute frenzy of anger can you recall the validity of that 100 percent true yeah and what were your the score was like in the 50s or some really low number like really low were you there for the screen no it was in new york and i was not invited to that so but i just remember yes there was a frenzy of like you know and it was kind of me i was like you know listen my job had been finished at that point and i just remember sitting back and going well i told you so <laughs> like, yeah i mean we should have made the movie that we i thought we were gonna make we should have made a real halloween movie you know that's that to me was my contention and i was like where's the suspense and build up that was the stuff that was missed you know i felt like the script had a lot more i'm not saying it was perfect but i think that what i really tried to inject into each scene and each kill was like the suspense of the build-up and the tension and the mr x and all the stuff that makes michael myers who he is not just jason walking you know to a room and sticking an axe in somebody's head you know like Mm -hmm. always the misdirection it was always like using the corners of that widescreen frame which you know again day one we're not shooting in scope why (laughs) i don't know we'll just start um you know again nobody thinking about like what made that movie so artistic and so smart and why it's such a classic and listen you can never kind of repeat that i'm sorry but they didn't repeat it in the new ones i'm gonna go on record and saying it didn't that was the last thing we were gonna talk to you about too um you know i mean again it's just too violent for my taste um Everything I wrote in the script, the original Halloween 6 script, was very kind of um, suggestive, I guess. The violence mm-hmm. was more off screen. I thought of things like Psycho and the original Halloween. You didn't see knives like impaling people and blood spurting all over the screen. I think the or heads, heads going heads through exploding on fuse boxes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I just like I didn't write that. So to me, it was just sort of shocking and, and in a way yeah, i just remember feeling very defeated you know like oh shit this is my first like big produced movie and and it's the one that i dreamed of my whole life and now they've kind of turned it into this like weird amalgam you know amalgam of like of just all this um stuff from other horror movies that just didn't work you know mm-hmm. and in terms of the gore and the immediacy of everything and not really taking the time to build the ter- the tension and for me, that's the point of Halloween is the tension, not the the, the gore. Yeah. So that's. And, and, and can you can you kind of like for the average for the person listening to this that is just a fan of these movies and stuff? Can you talk about how crazy the notes were day to day from shooting that you that you guys were getting? Because I read that it was like there you go your reaction because yeah. I would assume this film did this film almost kind of jade you on the movie business and how things go because it was so insane can you kind of talk about how many studio notes you had to deal with on a daily basis i mean i i literally spent most of like i was on you know i was there in salt lake city with everyone for i don't know a couple weeks at least and i really spent very little time on the set i was mostly maybe holed up in my room addressing all this stuff you know i mean some of it was like okay you know make that change but then some of it was just really like, oh my God, it's like, it's like taking the, you know, the thread out of a, out of a, you know, a well-sewn quilt and, <laughs> and watching it all kind of fall to pieces, you know, it's like what you can't just take the spine out of it, you know, and some of the notes sort of felt like it was doing that. And, um, and then when the, the reshoots came about, I was actually kind of thrilled to hear they were going to do reshoots. Cause I thought, oh, cool. We can go back and add all the scary stuff in that we didn't shoot. You know, to me, I thought we were just going to go in and like extend the scenes, make them more tension filled. Um, And lo and behold, that's not what they decided to do. Um, And they had other writers um, who were not credited, but maybe should have been. Um, I'll name one of them, I think, was Rand Ravitch was his name. I, I feel like he's written several movies. I mean, like The Astronaut's Wife. Do you guys remember that movie? Yes, yes, John. Astronaut's Wife. I know that movie. I think wow. Made, I think he made that. He's the one that wrote the whole ending of that. 
he wrote that whole laboratory babies and fish tanks and all that stuff like came from him and then i came in and tried to clean it up i remember there was one version where they had marianne hagan's character kara strode running around a mental institution with a machine gun <laughs> you're kidding me no actually i read about that no. now that you say it no in the dialogue and i can remember it and i literally i think my mouth hit the floor where it was paul Rudd had to say and i can only imagine what he would have said if he'd seen the line before i went in and said hell no um it was literally he throws kara a machine gun and says ever used one of these before <laughs> yeah, so again, i'm a little a little virginal college girl you know repressed sexually repressed college girl living with my parents and and my you know my fatherless son and I, yes, I've used lots of machine guns. <laughs> I, I Jesus Christ. I fucking know what the hell is going on. So, I mean, as bad as things got, it could actually have been worse. <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah. So there were more, there, listen, little things that I kind of like stepped in and was able to kind of put my foot down. Not that I had any authority or anything, but at that point, you understand too, like the Akkads, they didn't get kicked off the project. They walked off the project. When they saw where Miramax was going to take this thing and how they were going to run this show, they were like, bye. And I'll, I remember standing there at the production office. I think I had just you know been up all night rewriting these terrible pages or whatever and then dropping them off. And I remember it was me and Joe Chappelle standing in a hallway where all the offices were. And it was Paul Freeman and the whole battalion packing up their briefcases and walking out the door. And we just sort of stood there like, well, bye. <laughs> I guess they're leaving. And, so, uh, yeah so it was it was just an immediate like that's where the like the big time you know problems were with uh, between the Akkads and, and Miramax and I think there was a lawsuit that resulted from all of it it was it was a big big mess you guys so yeah I, I yeah I read that Mustafa pulled the plug on the lawsuit because he thought it would just end up being a, a really bad press thing for the movie i don't know i feel like they settled it you know i don't know that he pulled the plug i think they just settled on hey you can never do that again you know kind of thing mm -hmm. and right the problem okay. was i think because you know i mean we can say whatever we want about the wine scenes now the world knows how evil and corrupt they always were right all that's been exposed thankfully absolutely but um but you know he really like they really from my understanding they really held the halloween rights hostage i guess is the best way to put it they would wait until the last second, last day, and then suddenly renew the option that they had to make another movie. I mean, they famously did that with uh, Hellraiser. Yes. They, they made exactly those right. straight to DVD ones simply because they were like, yeah, we're not putting anything out, but we don't want anyone else to have it. Well, I feel like there was one point, and it might have been maybe after eight, that they were, they literally to keep it, they, they, they sent some student crew out onto the streets of Bulgaria to shoot to shoot a scene with michael myers some guy wearing the michael mask and saying well we're making a movie so you can't you can't take the right oh screen. my god yeah no kidding no not kidding that's how crazy they are it and sucks it so bad so no i mean I, you know you know i always felt for um i certainly felt for malik because after his dad passed he had to deal with all that crazy shit. um but you know luckily that's all in the past and mm -hmm. moved on. yeah made it successful I, so i mean that's pretty amazing yeah, it's 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 crazy hearing about the Weinstein's and how controlish they were. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, we, we heard Rob Zombie. He was on Charles Band, the guy who runs Full Moon's podcast. And, yeah. and Rob talked about having just complete, you know, you hear you hear Rob talk uh, uh, so calm. He doesn't really yeah. raise his voice and he describes yeah. having screaming like matches with Bob Weinstein. Oh, and it's just, yeah. you know, well, uh, it's, it's the like, one thing I have to. And again, this is just, you know, my feelings for Mustafa are only, you know, he was like he was he was like like an uncle to me in a weird way. You know, like, I mean, he was kind of cranky in his own way and he always like make little remarks. But but I, you know, I loved him and I, and I, I you know, owe him my my life in a way. So but but I will say he made a real effort and a real concerted effort to protect me from those people. Like he he never let me deal with them directly, and that's he, incredible. He wanted to take the the brunt of their shit. He's like he, he's like you're not going to get in the way of this. I'm he was always my buffer there. He never let them get to me. Wow. So that was nice. 
No. Yeah, he, he was that. You know, he was an artist friendly. He was an artist. He was a director. He, you know, he came. He wasn't just a movie producer. He, you know, he directed his own movies. I mean, epic, big, big movies, um, Lion of the Desert, and all kinds mm -hmm. of like, you know, those kind of grand, you know, Anthony Quinn movies in the desert, and just you know, really epic scale, multi multi million dollar movies. Um, so he knew, you know, the difficulties that you know you face. <laughs> so I think he was just a very film maker friendly producer that's that's how mm -hmm. it and, and, and I, he was very fatherly you know what i mean like he was always just he cared about the team you know yeah. and i think he also hired people that he thought he could trust to deliver it and then unfortunately they did not yeah yeah well i mean like looking back on it daniel i mean i know that it was crazy and i, and I know yeah. that there was a bunch there but like looking back on it i hope that you are proud of of the of the script you turned in and and what of yours did end up on screen because like when you look back on Halloween now like are you are you happy for that experience all things considered or or is it like Christian said were you a little jaded like were you like I don't know if I want to do this you know I don't know that I was jaded I felt like you know what it was at the end of the day it didn't matter that the movie wasn't what I wanted it to be it was a produced movie it was in theaters. It made millions of dollars. So that alone just gets you access to people who never would have spoken to me, who would have never taken a meeting with me. I would have never had an agent or a lawyer or <laughs> the things that happened. Mm -hmm. You know, so it really was the thing that kind of opened some doors and made it possible for me to do lots and lots of other things. So, I mean, I'm eternally grateful for that experience. Um, I'm eternally grateful to Mustafa Akkad and his son Malik. Um, and to the fans who've been so, like, you guys so sweet and, and kind. And just the fact that we're talking about this movie, like, what, 27 years down the road. I never, ever in a million years thought I would be, you know, that this would still be part of my life all these years down the road. I, it's so That, to me, is a thrill. And how is it to have your movie on 4K UHD? Uh, <laughs> uh, awesome. You know, I, I who knew that this technology would go so far and it would have this, you know, it looked better than it did in theaters back in the day. Remember, like our, ours was shot on film when they actually used film. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a digital movie at all. And I, I know you said that you produce, you prefer the producer's cut, but it, I, still the producer's cut is no. nowhere near what you had. No, in, no. Yeah. No, to me that it always felt like a rough cut, you know, like mm -hmm. it was an incomplete movie. And then when they went to so quote unquote complete it, they just kind of made something else. And I like tacked a bunch of scenes in that had nothing to do with this, the movie. So it was just a big, to me, jumbled mess when it got released. But yeah, in terms of the intention, I would say the, the producer's cut is closer. I just wish it had had the suspense and the tension and the payoffs and little things that I worked so hard to include. And then ultimately, you know, I think in the hands of some of the um, bean counters, we'll call them, uh, just turned it into some like the, like the, the, they made it as simple as they could and with the least amount of inconvenience. Mm -hmm. Does right. that make sense? Yes, yeah. it makes total sense. So, Daniel, wrapping this up, um, you kind of hinted at it before, but I remember Nick, when we were talking about when we were going to interview you, Nick said, you know what? I can't wait to ask him mm -hmm. about the new Halloween films. I'm dying oh, to know what somebody I love with Halloween ends. I fucking love okay. Halloween ends. Okay. But Hall I, I, I do not love the trilogy as a whole. I mm -hmm. have a lot of issues with it, but I loved ends because okay. like Halloween six, like Rob Zombie's Halloween two movies. I love in this series. They mm -hmm. were like. Fuck it. Let's do something right. totally different. Completely off the map. Yeah. Yes. No, Where I, are you at, Daniel, with these? Films? Um, you know, I, I usually don't like to to kind of like throw my hat into that because I just know this is somebody else's very, very, very hard work that went into it. Um, for me, I just didn't feel like with all the resources that were at their disposal, I still felt like it was not quite there. Like I just didn't I didn't feel the the heart and the horror of, I mean, even like Halloween two felt like the first movie to me, you know, just the way it was shot, the way it was told the music, the, I don't know. It just, it just for me, and maybe it's just cause I'm older and maybe like you said, maybe more jaded about the whole series at this point. I just didn't feel it. But that well, was this might, this might be a dumb question, Daniel, but would you come back and do a Halloween movie? 
I've been asked that a few times. Um, I mean, it's Malik, and no longer Malik, the Weinstein. And it was the two of us kind of like figuring it out along the way and making decisions that we both knew were for the best of, of the, the piece rather than, you know, the bean counters. Sure. If there was something more to do, I don't know at this point they've, they've done it. That was, that was my next question. Where would you even go? I mean, Where would you go? Put him in a meat grinder or whatever at this point. So I don't think, he's, <laughs> yeah. I think they really meant ends. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I certainly wouldn't do something dumb, like taking him to outer space. Sorry, John. Carpenter. <laughs> but uh, Jason already did that anyway. And Leprechaun, I think. Um, yes, he did. But, yes, they did. Uh, you know, it's always, <laughs> like That's always the death knell. But uh, yeah, I mean, it would just have to be the right thing, you know, to be honest, it would, you know, it would have to be like taking what we know and then just saying, okay, now we're going to do this with it, you know, and, and not ignoring everything, but, but in a way kind of acknowledging it and moving on to the next piece of whatever that story might be. Well, so, you guys heard I don't know what it would be. So I, you know, this, I, it's, I'm not giving you a good answer. So I'm sorry. No, no, you're no, fine. You did great. Daniel, I, I want to ask you this in closing, you know, okay. I, 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 in the beginning of this, you know, you sounded like you were happy that I actually brought up uh, the haunting of Sharon Tate. And um, I, I want to ask as somebody who's obviously done a lot of things in his career, but being known for Halloween six, do you ever have a certain feeling about that one type of way? Like I, I, I is it a blessing or a curse to you where <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah, because to, to, yeah, um, to Carpenter, it's almost like a curse. It kind of pisses yeah. him off. See, I don't I don't look at it the way he does, you know? It's all been a gift for me, you know? I was like the kid that just, you have no idea how much I idolized these movies. I mean, when I went to my high school reunion, the 10 years, the 10 year reunion, which was not too long after the movie came out, everybody was like, of course you did. We knew that when you were, we were you know, you were making these movies in junior high school, <laughs> Halloween this and Halloween that. And like, it was who I was, you know, kind of, it kind of like became my identity in a weird way, you know, like this was before fan fiction and all that stuff, you know, but I could make movies on VHS portable, you know, recorders and things like that. But, uh, but that's how I kind of like really sort of established my social circles and, and everything else was, you know, my love of these films. So the fact that I got to actually you know, write one and, and have my creative input on one and the series. And that sort of lives on all these years later. It's like, how do I look at that as anything but like the realization of an actual dream come true. And the fact that those things actually can happen in life. It's, it's really kind of breathtaking to me and un unbelievable, even all these years later. And don't sell yourself short. Christian and I would say, not only did you write one, you wrote one of the best ones. Oh, so, you guys are so nice. I, I, you know, that honestly touches my heart. It really does, guys. So thank D you. D Daniel, I'm telling you, man, it's uh, Halloween. Like, people love this movie so much. And it's so great when, when you talk to people that sometimes, for, for me, I'm not a very descriptive person. And maybe sometimes it's hard for me to explain why I love it. But when I, tr it's like the fans that love it, they just get it. They mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. There's this uh, this almost untangible thing to it that it's yeah. got this X factor that you can't really describe. But there's it's the movie is like an old friend and mm -hmm. you love to revisit it. And it's very comfortable to put the movie on and sit through. And I, I hear for a lot in the past, I don't know, five, six years or whatever, maybe longer now. But like I do hear from those fans that have that sort of nostalgia, this nostalgic place in their heart for this movie because it was the first one they experienced in a movie theater. Um, with friends or that their dad took them to see it and and you know he's since passed and they and it kind of galvanizes a moment in their lives and they're and, and and that is the amazing thing about cinema you know we can all kind of place our moments of our lives and our own stories and where were we when we saw this you know and if it made an impression on you in any way so for that i'm like so grateful you have no idea yeah. like and that, when it, that i when was a kid who had that experience with the first movie and the second movie yeah. Um, that, you know, that just means everything to me. So when it, when it comes on TV on AMC, are you, do you ever just sit there and say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch it. 
Um, Do you ever no. have those moments? I don't. I usually <laughs> You've probably seen it enough, huh? No, it's just because then I'll revisit all the fuck ups, you know, like in my, you know, I'll just be like, oh, this is right. <laughs> I'm sure you can't but watch the movie I without. I can't watch it. Yeah. Well, no. you have to think about you probably have memories of, oh, when they were filming this, I know exactly what was going on. I was well, I, was, I didn't know I was or... standing off camera. So, you know, like, mm -hmm. oh, was, wow. You know, I, I, I literally I'm like. Five feet away are, are you going to be at 45 years of terror? They haven't asked me yet, but I, I will try. I may be shooting something in the fall this year, so I don't know if I'll be. I was, I was just about to ask you if I am on something. Totally, totally would come. Yeah. Can yeah. you can you talk about are that? You, yeah. Are you able to tell Daniel? us what you're working on? Oh, um, I've got a. Well, there's three projects that are kind of in the works. One, two, two are very close to getting off the ground. Um, one of them, I'll, I'll just say what it is, and I'm excited about it, is we're going to do a remake of a movie that you guys are too young to remember, but I bet you've seen it, called Happy Birthday to Me. Dude, yeah. are you kidding me? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. And that's it, it's a public thing that you're able to I mean, discuss. it's on IMDb, so I figured I can talk about it. So, <laughs> Dude, that's great. Uh, wow. That, that movie got a kind of a, like a new renaissance with the it horror fans because Arrow they Video did. put out the Blu-ray and I got yes, it. Yes, that's right. That's yep. fantastic. We're working on that. I'm hoping that's the one that's going to go this year, like sometime this year. And that might be the one I, that keeps me away from doing the 45-year the um, reunion. But um, but that and then I've got another original script that I've written that's that's we're getting close to. We might actually shoot that one in the summer. Um, it's a horror uh, slasher that to me just takes me right back to all the stuff that I loved about horror movies um, and 70s movies um, and in particular roller skating movies. So it's oh, a, really? It's, it's a Dude. it's a horror movie set at a 70s roller disco. Dude. That sounds fantastic. Get, get Rob Zombie to direct it. Yeah. Dan and Daniel, I hope I hope it becomes the next Terrifier. Too, oh God. Yeah. I well, that would be great. I mean, mm. God bless those guys. I mean, they just you know that's insane. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're the when they see your they see your name, people are going to want to support it right away. Oh, I'm telling you. So thanks. That's awesome. That's that's so super good. Cool of you to say, but yeah, no, we're excited. You know, we're just you know we're kind of in that stage of like trying to put all the last minute pieces together on these things so hopefully the, you know both of those will be going sometime this year yeah awesome awesome all right That's... well christian you want to wrap her up we don't want to keep him forever yeah well daniel uh, dude well anytime I, say... I can always come back and we can pick up wherever you want to leave off uh we would love to do that so okay. yeah yeah uh, Daniel, I, I just want to say, you know, from the bottom of my heart, man, like as a kid that just starting a YouTube channel uh, over a decade, a little over a decade ago now, just being a fan of the movies to be sitting here talking to you uh, and the same with Nick and me. I've known me and Nick have known each other very long. We met through YouTube and for us oh, to be so here. Cool. I just love talk. that. I mean, there's a lot of things about the Internet I don't like, but I would mm -hmm. say things like what you're telling me now. I love that. So, that's, yeah, it's amazing. It, it truly is a, a blessing for both of us, and we, we're extremely grateful that not only did you offer us your time, but you were so open with us. And, uh, I'm well, hoping that's we, kinda, we, that's, that's uh, kind of one of the things I just am. So, like, if yeah. you have a question, I'll just answer it. And I'm hoping we, you know, I really, I really, we, we try to go out of our way. We really want you to, we really want to ask you stuff that maybe isn't just so run of the mill or stuff that you don't get asked. Oh God, you guys um, have the greatest questions. Like you actually challenged me a couple times there. I had to think, but uh, yeah. no, that was, that was good. I can tell that you guys really understand did and have done a lot of research and read all the, you, you might at this point know more about it than I do. <laughs> well, you know, so, so Daniel, thank you so much, man. We, yeah, we just yeah, really course. appreciate you. Of course, uh, if you time. Yeah, you can take off when you're when you're ready to go. Me and Nick are gonna do a little thing for the closing Perfect. of our podcast. But All right, thank you, Daniel, so right. much. The fans guys, love you. you. Oh, thanks. Love you guys too. And take care thank of yourselves. You. Be safe, and um, we will talk soon. Thank right, you, Daniel. Daniel. Right. Thank you so much. Bye.